Now, so after this, we, we thought we would um, get really seriously into a gospel and really take some time over it. So we're going to go up to Matthew and we get to the end of the 20 questions. So that's, that's what we're planning to do next season. Really try and get into some depth in that. Um, I think it's quite important to know what Jesus thought, isn't it, really? So we're going to really try and uh, drill into that. But at the moment, we're still going through this series. And, and I don't think I drew the short straw on, on these subjects. So I seem to have had a couple of tricky ones. And the question we came up with when Dan and I were having a, a coffee in St. Thomas's Cafe was, why should I love my enemies? Um, although, as always, when we actually sit down to start to think about this, it kind of morphed into... Not just why should I love my enemies, but how on earth do I even think about doing that? You know, and it's it's very easy with subjects like this to trivialise it a bit as well, and you know, trivialise what is an enemy. So I'm going to try and work through this as best I can. But I just suspect that that you, know, you can't accomplish everything you want to accomplish in a talk like this, particularly some painful stuff that happens in our lives in 25 minutes, half an hour. So it can open up you know, a lot of thinking and a lot of heart stress when you look at a subject like this. Um, so I'm just, just noting that at the start. I, I, I'm going to try and cover as many bases as possible, but in the time I have, that's, that's a little bit tricky. Um, you have to ask the question in the first place, you know, what, what is your enemy? You know, what is an enemy? I mean, we're, we're not in a full-on war at the moment. I think it's a little bit extending beyond uh, road rage type incidents. Um, in fact, uh, just thinking back, last week I was out for a little run with Karen, and up Walton Road there was a full-on punch-up between two blokes in their 50s. It just sort of... Their car, they didn't even pull their cars over, they just stopped in the middle of the road and started fighting each other. I thought, it's an angry old world out there, isn't it? I mean, they're probably just arguing over nothing, you know. I mean, I've seen fights break out on the other occasion, but it's just really weird looking at two grown, mature men just smashing each other up on the, on the Sunday. Karen said to me, don't get involved, just run off. So you did, actually, because then someone else pulled up and started getting involved. Cause I think if one person was getting really hurt, I might have um, done something, but actually it was sort of really out of shape. I don't think it's going to last one ten seconds, <laughs> so it's all right. Yeah, they all sort of collapsed on the floor, just out of breath. So I think it was like a, it was like a dad fight type thing, but it's fine. So anyway, uh, it's, what, is, what, is a, what is an enemy? Um, I'm just reflecting when we sort of prayed before the meeting. Um, I, was, I can't remember how long ago it was now, but when I was at Christian Vision for Men, you know, Sort of average a complaint a week, I think. You know, I get like because you're working nationally, you have the potential to upset a lot of people all the time. And so I get about a complaint there to a week, but there was, or an email, you know. But there was one moment when um, a DVD was sent into the office, uh, which had been written about me. It was a DVD about me, and it was called CVM, which is the name of the charity, and they changed it to Conning Vulnerable Men. And it was a it was a PowerPoint uh, presentation, which basically went on to explain how I was like the spawn of the devil, basically, and was corrupting everyone. And um, and then I thought, well, it's quite it was badly produced, and the guys in the office wanted to help him with his production values actually, it's not very good. But then we found out they've been sent all over the country, 
to magazines and radio stations and Christian leaders and bishops and to try and warn everyone uh, to to not engage with what I was doing. Um, it is a bit mad. But anyway, uh, over a period of week, I think I had a number of these DVDs were sent into the office. So I was getting a collection. Uh, and then one of our guys, it was anonymous, it's always a bad sign. One of our guys was quite clever and managed to get behind the code of this presentation. And we found the address that it had come from. And I knew the person. It was a friend of mine. And, and I can't, I won't go into, it's not fair on them, so I won't go into the details of this, but they actually ran a ministry which was supporting people in national leadership and senior leadership in the Christian world by giving them short holidays to encourage them and bless them. So um, I phoned him up. Uh, I just said, oh, I said, um, I've had this DVD sent to the office. I went, have you? And yeah. Said, um, apparently they're going all over the country, so quite a few cents to me. He went, oh. And I said, uh, funny thing is, it sort of comes from your postcode area. He went, really, I don't know anything about that. I said, but the software's got your name and address on it as well. He went, oh. But it's definitely not me. So I went, okay then, mate. I said, you sure? He went, yeah, it's not me, mate. It's really, that's really weird. You know? And so we put the phone down. And then a few days later, I got an email saying, yeah, it was me. Um, God told me to stop you doing your evangelism, uh, just a minute, with a big, long email. Now, I've been on the receiving end of a few things like that over the years, and I think if you've been in politics or you've been in anything up front, you can get a bit of stuff thrown at you. If you're in leadership, you can get publicly, you can get stuff thrown at you. Now, I'm, I know Dan's given some illustrations about parking when he's lost his call, parking the car. Now, I'm not bothered about parking my car. I think if someone nicks my space, I just think, I'll find another one. It doesn't really get to me. But something, something like that, when you are being publicly attacked by a friend. Now, I don't know about you, maybe you're in a better place than me, but that can just a little bit, for a moment or two, get under my skin. And I, I fantasise about producing better quality DVDs that have a counter-attack, full HD and everything. Or like when you get an email that has a go at you. Have you ever drafted a reply which is brilliantly cutting? Because it gets under your skin. Or these days, social media. You have Twitter wars. Wars on Twitter and Facebook. That's kind of a surface level enemy type thing. Those things are like surface level things. You can pretty much deal with that and we'll talk about how to in a bit. But what about when it goes even deeper than that? What about when it's deeply personal and actually quite traumatic and really drawn out? That's something else. Now, 
We're not just making this up. This comes right out of the heart of the gospel, and we are going to be looking at Matthew in a new season. But look at this. This is Matthew chapter 5, and we'll take it from verse 38, if you've got Bibles, if you have a look at it. And we're going to duck into a couple of other bits as we go along. So I'm going to read this through, and then I'm going to try and explain it a little bit as we go. Verse 38. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone, if anyone, slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Now, the context of this, many of you will know, but in the ancient Middle East, there was a culture of increasing reprisals. You steal my ox, I will steal your herd of sheep. You stole my herd of sheep, I will burn your entire farm down. You burn my farm down, I will kill your family. You kill my family, I will kill your family and all your friends. It just got worse and worse and worse. So in order to have a limitation, the law in the Old Testament was, you took his eye, your eye goes. Eye for eye. That's how it worked. And actually, in some religious systems, in Islamic culture, in extreme Islamic culture, that is still practiced. You, 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 you had acid attacked, someone has a recent case, someone had an acid, a woman was attacked with acid on her face, so a man had his face surgically scarred and an eye removed. As a reprisal, that's the law system that applies in some extreme Islamic countries. That's why it was there. It was there to, to put the lid on it. We want justice, so you get your justice, and then you drop it. That's what it was. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. But Jesus says, no, no, no. Let's take a little bit further. We're, we're going to talk about grace here. You take a slap, take another slap. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. So this is the precursor to the subject that we're talking about in a bit. To explain, did you see on the news a fella took a key and keyed a supercar? Did you see on the news? It was, it was fascinating. Actually, there was a uh, I think it was an Aston Martin worth 80 grand and it had a dashboard camera still running and you see a guy with a kid in a pushchair gets his key out and keys the car and it's caught on camera. So the BT News like put it out there and he just it's just it's an ordinary bloke with a kid in a pushchair keys the car. It must have been jealousy over the Aston Martin, just like I'm gonna get your car. Now justice Justice would say, we will find him and then put him in court and we will find him and he will pay for the damage. That is the instinctive human response, isn't it? That's a fair response, right? You keyed my car. Apparently it's £8,000 worth of damage. You keyed my car, you pay for it, and if you can get a criminal thing for it, great, because you deserve it. That's justice. But what's mercy? 
mercy would be, you keep my car, and, and it's going to cost eight grand, and you've got a fine in court of 200 quid, I will pay for the damage, and I will pay your fine. That's mercy. I'll show mercy to you, and I forgive you. But what's grace? Grace would be, you keep my car, it's going to cost me eight grand, you've got a 200 quid fine, I'm going to pay all that for you, I'm going to give you my car. That's grace. Which is, to all intents and purposes, our standard operating procedure. Because that's what Jesus does for us, right? You deserve hell. You deserve punishment. You deserve justice. But I tell you what, I'll die. I'll get tortured. I'll pay the price. And you go to heaven forever. And I love you. So I just remember to write loving my enemies. This is the precursor. Because we are all deserving a judgment. But we are lavished with grace. And it says in Colossians that we were enemies of God. It's there in Colossians. Colossians 1 verse 21. Once you are alienated with God from God and enemies in your mind. So just will put that one out there first, because loving our enemies seems really unreasonable. But actually we're all dearly loved by God, who we are enemies of, until we met Christ. So that's the precursor. I think that's just really important to establish that. And that's why you've got verses 38 to 42. And, and 42 is brilliant. Give to the one who asks you. And, and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. In fact, the Bible also says, when someone wants to borrow from you, don't expect it back. Just freely give. And you see that working itself out in Acts 2, verses 42, and Acts 5, and people are just sharing their possessions and their stuff because they just knew the grace that they lived under. You know, and I know I sound like a bit of a stuck record, and I've said this a couple of times, but it was so revelatory for me, and it's one of the reasons I'm an evangelist. You know, when you, when you realise that you are held from hell by a thin thread of God's grace, why do we bump our gums about so many stupid things? We'd have a lot more love in our hearts, wouldn't we? We'd get over ourselves a bit quicker, I think. And so, that's the precursor. And then it moves on. Verse 43, which is the bit we're really going to try and drill into. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now that got me thinking, where in the Bible does it say, love your neighbour and hate your enemy? It's kind of an open question. So I searched the Bible. I tried to find it. I have, I'm a little bit retro. I've got a proper concordance that isn't just on a, on a PC. I've got a big book. It's about that thick, it's like this. 
It's got every single word in Scripture you can cross-reference it. I love it. I'm a little bit of a fan of books and pens and paper. It makes me a bit retro. I think it's cool. So I, I scanned it and I looked for it. And then, because I thought I might be making a mistake, I checked in the computer just to make sure. <laughs> and actually, I couldn't find it. But the references I did come up with were a little bit astonishing. Uh, for instance, Proverbs 24. Don't gloat when your enemy falls. This is Old Testament now. Don't gloat when your enemy falls. When they stumble, don't let your heart rejoice. Or the Lord will see and disprove and turn his wrath away from them. Now, I know that no one here would laugh when an enemy has something bad happen to them. But the Bible says <coughs> don't do it. In fact, echoes of the New Testament here. Proverbs 25. If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. And now you'll remember where this is from. In doing this, you heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. You see that again in uh, Romans chapter 12. And I've well, preached on that in the past. I've actually said, you know that book says, love your enemies, and if you do that, you heap burning coals on their head. Don't do it because of that. Don't think I'm going to love them telling you later what coals on their head. It'd be brilliant. Because you know, that's not the idea. The idea is what, what God's actually saying is, give it to me, give it to me, I, let me deal with it. I'll deal with it, it's for me to do it, your job is to love people. But it's just tough stuff, isn't it? And sometimes it's just emotionally very painful when we come to this as well. I'll give you an example of that in a minute. Just a quick thing here, there is a slight quandary we face in that Romans uh, 13, we check this out later, I think it's Romans 13, in the beginning of that chapter says, the authorities have the right to wield the sword. So what this is talking about is our individual response. People often get confused about pacifism and peace and turning the other cheek, then why do we ever go to war and blah, blah. Now look, just to say, this is not the sermon about, just, just to put a context to this, I do believe we need a police force. I think sometimes we need an armed police force. I think we need an army sometimes to defend us between a world where it's dangerous and we sleep peacefully at night because people are prepared to defend us. Romans 13 gives you the context. There is a place where the authorities have the right to defend and to dispense justice. That is in the Bible, in Romans 13. It's explicitly clear. I think what this is talking about is your individual response to evil and harm. They are two separate things, and I think often Christians get very, very confused about this. I used to say when I was a Baptist, I'm not a pacifist, I'm a Baptist. Now I can't say that because I'm even Pentecostal, so it doesn't mind as well. But I'm not actually a true pacifist. Because I believe that we need to be defended sometimes. Yeah. And I think sometimes it would be good if I had a burglar in my house to be able to call the policeman to come and sort me out and help my family and maybe hit my bed and save everyone. I'm, so I'm not against that. But what I am against is in our, in our individual responses saying we can use violence and aggression or revenge tactics. So I don't think the Bible allows for that. I think that's why Christians can serve in the armed forces, they can serve in the police force, they can fulfill those roles. If I saw someone being attacked or they were being hurt, seriously, I would intervene. If I had to use my strength in order to help someone, I have no qualms at all about doing that. If someone broke into my house and was threatening my kids, or especially the dog, I would definitely leap to the dog's defence. Uh, I'd be very, very upset about that in particular. But, when I'm out on the street, when I'm being an ordinary bloke, someone attacks me, they persecute me because of my faith, 
outside their head. So I try and operate as a normal thing uh, in a place of peace. Now, do you remember I told you when I crashed my car and someone tried to steal 100 quid off me? Do you remember I told you that, some of you? So I crashed my car, someone tried to whip me off to the gym for 100 quid on a false claim against me, but I went back and checked for 150 quid instead. Because that's my way of practicing loving my enemies, being gracious. I let you, you steal from me. It's fine. In fact, don't just steal from me, I'll give you more. I haven't got time to go into the story, and I've of you heard it before, so I'm just putting it out there. You've got to try and live what you're preaching. And they were really shocked, and as I said to you when I told you about that, I didn't think they'd cash a cheque to so blessed, but they did. And they were off the tune of 150 quid. But, that aside, I remember there have been numerous occasions in my life when, when I've been confronted by situations where someone could easily become my enemy. There have been times where Karen and I have shared our lives with her. We've, this is not the first church we've been involved in planting. Back in the mid-90s when we were planting a church, we, 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 we uh, engaged with another couple, a bit like me and Karen and Dan and Grace, we engaged with another couple to plant a church. And, and when you do that, you share life with people. And you share your hopes and your dreams. And as you start to do life, you start to share your failings and you start to share you know, your vulnerabilities. And you, 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 sh- you become very transparent. And you let your guard down. You open your heart, because I think a lot of life is opening your heart to people. And that's, that's, that's what we do. We're, this is all about relationships, isn't it? And, and they, they stitched us up, you know? They, we did that, and lo and behold, I got summoned to a meeting where the guy sat with a clipboard listing all my vulnerabilities and failures, and with elders in the church up the road, and stabbed Karen and I brutally in the back. Uh, I, I've been in ministry about eight months and walked away from my job to do this, you know. And it was so painful at the time, I've got time to go into the details of it, but I just suffice to say, it was one of the most painful experiences in my life. In fact, it hurt so much, well, I don't cry much anyway, but it hurt so much I couldn't cry. You know, I just don't, don't really cry, but in this occasion, I wanted to cry. You know, I was hurting so much I couldn't cry. I've never experienced betrayal like it. it, was, it don't want to go into details, it's actually not fair on them, but it was incredibly, incredibly painful. And about five months later, they actually wrote a letter of apology and said they were out of order, but even that didn't take the pain away. And I have to say to you that for a period of time, I wanted revenge on them. It ate me up. It was like an emotional cancer eating away at me. And, and there's some stuff other stuff that's happened in my past, which is more traumatic than that, which I'm not able to go into from the front, but actually was deeply painful. And, and when processing that, there were times when you want revenge. Because it hurts so much. And the injustice of it stinks. And over 20 years of walking with people, I've had people in my congregation who have suffered extreme abuse or mental and emotional torture or even sexual abuse. And it's painful. So I said I don't want to trivialise it. You know, the ability to have an enemy starts at a surface level and can get worse and worse and worse. And life is life. And there will always be people amongst us who are really under the cosh. Who really face some bad stuff. So I don't really think I'm trivialising this. But I just want to say there's degrees of stuff that can happen. So I'm going to talk through why and how, and I'm going to try and do this in brief 
brilliant points. Firstly, we forgive our enemies purely because Jesus told us to. He told us to do it. And he modelled it. You know, he didn't need to go to the cross. It was a choice. He didn't need to love us. But he did. He didn't need to forgive us. But he did. And if anyone had to wipe that, they would up a hump. It was him. Now to a lump of wood. And still for baby. So that's our high calling, is to see Jesus as a role model. Quite simply, he told us to do it. Even when it comes to healings, it's Luke 17, where Jesus healed 10 lepers, and only one came back and said, thank you. The rest ignored him. They abandoned by his disciples. Loads of, when you read between the lines of Jesus' life, when it's that snapshot of three years of ministry, so much betrayal, heartache, abandonment, being ignored, still went to the cross. Still laid down his life. Jesus told us to do it. Secondly, we do it because it's counter-cultural. It's an amazing, just on a practical front, it's an amazing witness when people encounter people who don't carry bitterness. It's an incredible thing when you meet Christians who truly carry shalom, wholeness and peace. Now, I don't know about you, but I've noticed that the language of the world is complaint and moaning and gossiping. And gossiping by nature is moaning about other people because it makes you feel better about yourself or just, just doing someone's legs gives you a strange, deep satisfaction. It is incredibly countercultural when you encounter people who don't entertain that and only have a good word to say about other people. And even if you can't say something good, you just say nothing. Or just find something. You deserve your own dignity. But it just stands out like a beacon to people. Why do, why do they never say anything bad about anyone? So I've noticed this whole enemy thing, I'm trying to string these thoughts together properly. I think what our true enemy does is he tries to chip away at us so that we develop a lifestyle of bitterness which escalates into other stuff. I think what the enemy tries to do is take away our ability to believe the best about people, give the benefit of the doubt, and speak only that which is good, and keep trusting people. So for instance, and this is minor surface type enemy stuff we talk about here, when my two friends stab me and carry me in the back, the knee-jerk response from me is, I'm never going to trust anyone again. Ever. Because it just hurts. Now, I think boundaries are okay. Sometimes you need boundaries. For instance, if you come out of a relationship that's very traumatic, it could be violent, it could be bullying. Forgiving someone doesn't mean to say you need to open the door into that happening all over again. You have to be sensible about that. But what's more toxic is thinking, 
for instance, um, I will never have a close friend because whenever I have a close friend, they always end up hurting me. So I'm never going to do that again. Um, I'm not going to enter into a relationship again because every time I do that, it goes wrong. I've been hurt. When a work situation, I've, every time I've, I've stuck my neck out, I've been undermined, I've been hurt, I've been stitched up. So I'm not going to do that again. So you start closing in on yourself. If you do that, this is a little side warning here, and I know some situations are far more traumatic than others, but for the middle band of stuff that happens, which is toxic and hurts us, if you allow the devil to take away from you your ability to have hope and trust and give the benefit of the doubt, it's captured your heart. And there's a potential there that will eat you up inside over the long term. Which is the third thing I'll say. We forgive because actually it's good for you. It's really emotionally healthy for you. It's really spiritually important for you. Because if you don't, it can eat your heart emotionally like a cancer. And I actually think in the years I've been praying for people, often a lot of healing, physical healing that I've seen, and emotional healing that I've seen, has been linked, without a doubt, to unforgiveness in people's hearts. Now, I'm not saying that every illness, or every trauma is linked to unforgiveness, but I've seen it a lot. People with chronic pain, like you get migraines, or their stomachs upset a lot, or even like chronic fatigue type stuff. Karen and I have prayed for people and actually seen these things healed. And I, I don't even think it's necessarily here, this is miraculous. I just think that our emotions and our physical bodies are incredibly linked because they are all part of the same system. So if you are harboring an extreme bitterness or hurt, over time it can actually make us unwell. And why would you in any case, as someone much wiser said, give someone else free rent space in your head? Because people hurt you. I guarantee years later, I've met people who are still feeling hurt. I bet you the person who hurt you is not thinking about you at all. It's still in your head and in your heart. In fact, I've just got to say this to the scene. I think I mentioned this before. We had one lady who had a lot of, uh, a lot of lumps in her breast, actually, and she was being uh, under an oncologist for examination. And when we were praying for her, the Lord gave us a word. Uh, this is a few years back. The Lord just gave us a word, and we said to her, "Is there anything in your life you've not forgiven?" And 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 she leapt out of her chair in anger, and it was her aunts. She'd been raised by her aunts, who had been physically abusive to her, violently abusive as she was growing up. And I said, "How do you feel about them?" And she's like in tears of rage. And she said, if I saw them on the other side of the road, I want to go over there and kill them. For what they did to me. For years. So needless to say, we decided to pray it through. And it took a bit of time. 
Because when you're deeply hurt, it can't happen overnight sometimes. You've got to untangle it. Sometimes you have to systematically pray through the things that actually happened. I've been there a bit with that. Just, just and release it to God. Give it to God. It's yours, it's yours. Please take this burden from me. And she did that. And do you know what? All the lumps disappeared. Over a period of about two months. Complete bit of health. Now, she's never diagnosed as having a formerly a cancer, which is under your college, it's all been investigated, but I thought that is amazing. And Karen, if Karen was here, she's studying herself somewhere in London. But if Karen was here, she'd tell you there have been a few times you've prayed for people with chronic illnesses, where they've had to come to a point of peace with people and been healed and become well. Things like fatigue and irritable bowel syndrome, I think it's so linked up. It's good for you. But what does it mean to actually love those people that you're praying for? Because to forgive them is the first step. What does it mean to actually love your enemies? Well, I think following that proverbs pattern, it probably means not wishing anything ill of them anymore. I think that's a good first step, the Proverbs 24, 25 stuff. Not gloating about their demise if you hear about it. Carrying a sorrow for them. What if they don't know Jesus? Carrying a godly sorrow for someone. Do their lives come good? Don't mean to say you're going to be best friends to go out down spoon is having a beer with them. But actually wanting the best for someone. Deciding not to badmouth them anymore. Sometimes you've got to do what we've got to do, legally and other things, but that actually means just wanting the best outcome for their life. To a point where there's not a burden on you anymore. To speaking pastorally, I'd say, get yourself to a point where he's not toxic on your own life anymore. So you are at peace. I think that's really important. The fourth thing I just quickly say, in terms of the how, let's remember who our real enemy is. Our real enemy is not each other. And and I've said this a few times over the last year. Let's keep remembering that as a family. When things happen that annoy you and it starts to chip away at your soul a little bit, maybe something happens in the church or someone says something or you hear something, let's remember who our real enemy is. And let's remember what he seeks to do. And it says in Scripture, isn't it, that he prowls around like a warrior knight in pieces, seeking who to devour. So let's remember what his game is. What his game is to destroy and tear apart and to turn people against each other. So my strategy in life has generally been in any organisation I lead or in any relationship that I have with my family or in church is I'm really up for honest conversations quickly. I have a reputation in work for running at confrontations. If there's a confrontation, I'll run at it and I'll have an honest conversation with someone, sometimes quite blunt, but hopefully quite loving at the same time. Because I just want the air cleared. Because what I notice is, people say 90% of what the problem is, and they don't say the last 10%. And it's the last 10% that's often the most difficult thing. 
If we say the last 10% in the context of loving each other and wanting relationship, then it will make sure the enemy is never going to get in amongst us and tear things apart. That does not mean that at the end of this service, we go to each other and start being honest with each other in a really bad way. What I mean is, we keep short accounts. We keep the dirt off the floor. We keep the atmosphere clean. When the Holy Spirit is moving amongst us, he's incredibly gentle, actually. It says in Ephesians 4, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Remember, it's Ephesians 4, 22. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. You just got this impression that the Spirit of God is very tender and very gentle, which is the way that we should be operating with one another. And that way we don't grieve him, and that way the love keeps flowing. And when anything comes in amongst us, you know, it'll be okay. We'll deal with it. If it ever gets to the point where we need to documents and formal meetings, we've lost it. That's not how families operate. And you think, what's that got to do with loving your enemies? What I'm trying to do is cut off the enemy situation at source. We want a position where we actually we have got enemies. We don't actually allow it to happen in the first place. I think, sewing all up neatly, hopefully, this is why the precursor verses 38 to 42 is so important. What Jesus is saying is, turn the other cheek. They, they steal your coat, give me a coat. They scratch your car, don't worry about it. Just cut it off at source. Even the ability to have an enemy, cut it off at source. Final thing, just to mention, and we talk about not getting bitter and, you know, in a sense, keeping your heart soft. Sometimes even thick skin, soft heart. What I would say is, no matter what degree you are suffering from this, if there is stuff out there that's agitated you, and I'm aware that my sermon this morning might have even agitated one or two of you, you think you don't understand what I'm going through, and I understand that. What I would say is, you get away from here, and if you think, actually I'm carrying a couple of people who hurt me, and actually all of this down a bit bitter, best thing you can do, go for a walk. Go for a walk with the Holy Spirit. Bring that situation before the Lord and give it to God. He will deal with the injustice. He might not even see it that he's doing it. He will deal with it. What's most important is that your heart is in a healthy place and you are spiritually in a healthy place. Don't carry the burden. When it says, you've heard that it was said, and I said, I couldn't find it in scripture, do you know where I think that comes from? I think that comes from the religious teachers, the Pharisees and the scribes at the time, teaching that it was alright to get your own back. That's alright. But that is not the way of Jesus Christ. That is not what we do. Jesus died to deal with all of that. And he did decisively. We may not see it in our lifetime, but he will deal with it. So keep your own heart clear. Let's just love each other. That'd be really easy, wouldn't it? Let's all just love each other. 
And when you see that temptation for stuff to creep in, just cut it off. And I'll, I'll take the lead in this. If you ever hear me being negative about someone or operating out of a place where my heart seems hard, it's okay for you to put your arm around me, preferably with a cup of tea with one sugar in it, and say, be cheating me on the You've got to let that go further. Don't do that. You're better than that. You have permission to say that to me. So let's make sure this stays a place where we don't have enemies, we love one another. And as a sign-off, wouldn't that be an amazingly attractive place that people want to come to? So, such an amazingly countercultural place that people think, this bunch of people, they're a bit weird, they actually genuinely seem to love one another. That would be so cool.